0: Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is from Isaiah chapter 11. Our sermon will be based on these words of God's prophet. Isaiah chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Steve Weatherford is not normal. For starters, Steve played several seasons in the NFL. He won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants, and Steve played punter. And for, so you don't know, punter is a person kicks the ball, punts it. Normally, punters are not the most intimidating physical specimen on an NFL football team. But Steve is abnormal. Steve won the award from Muscle and Fitness magazine of the fittest man in the NFL, not once, but twice. That's not normal. For any person in the NFL to win that award, that's quite the honor. In the NFL, there are some of the biggest, fastest, strongest human beings on the planet. But for a punter to win that award? Oh, that's not normal. But that's not why I'm telling you about Steve Weatherford. I'm telling you about him because what he's done since being in the NFL is not normal. He's taken his physical gifts and his financial gifts, and Steve has been a successful businessman, entrepreneur, fitness coach, business coach, but that's normal. Steve is not normal because he, he not only wants to help people out financially, personally, or physically, Steve's a Christian, and he really wants to help people out spiritually. He is someone who, and I I mean this in the most endearing way, is completely obnoxious about his faith. He is someone who shares his faith and the hope that he has in Christ Jesus, whether he is talking to a Christian audience or whether he is talking to a secular audience. No, Steve is not normal in that way. And I thought of Steve recently because of our sermon series, Come Lord Jesus. Last week, our series theme was Come as King. And Steve, pictured right here, wears a shirt almost whenever he speaks that says, Jesus is King. And how cool is that, right? Who wouldn't want a shirt that says Jesus is King? I mean, if you haven't listened to it yet, I want to encourage you and, and go back and listen to last week's sermon about Jesus who comes as our King, because that view, seeing Jesus come as King, well, that view changes the way you view everything in this life. To know that Jesus was the victorious king, who who came riding into Jerusalem already knowing the battle was won over sin, death, and the devil, that Jesus, your king, is seated on the throne because he has died for the sins of the world, risen from the dead, and ascended on high, and now he is seated on his throne to rule everything for the good of the church and give you all of his gifts. Oh, to know Jesus is king, it changes the way we view our life. I thought of Steve and his Jesus is king's shirt again this week as we dive into our theme that, well, Jesus is judge, because how about this shirt? What if we made Jesus is judge shirts? And I know we can, we can put them on our, on our church's merch store. You know, if you go online and click in the top right for the merch store, we can put some Jesus is judge shirts there and wouldn't these make like really great stocking stuffers? You could buy them for your whole family, and then on Christmas Day we could all sit in front of the tree with our Jesus is Judge shirt. And don't worry, don't worry. I know we got a lot of young ones. We got them in onesies as well. We could put them up there, and then everyone could have them. We could wear them all the time as a church, right? We could wear them when we do our Christmas by campfire and our science camp and our community service projects. was everyone laughing? It's not cool. uncomfortable to wear a Jesus is judge shirt? Makes sense, right? That would that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Let's ask ourselves why. I mean Jesus is king, that's cool, right? Like who wouldn't want that t-shirt? And you think about all the names that Jesus has? We rejoice in those. But why not Jesus is judge? I mean, we love Jesus. If we love Jesus, who calls himself a judge, shouldn't we love that name the same way we love the fact that he calls himself Redeemer, Messiah, Emmanuel, friend, friend of sinners, good shepherd. Why are we uncomfortable with Jesus is judge? Or well, maybe, maybe it's personal. You think about the relationships you have with your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, and people who aren't Christians or, or maybe have a problem with the Christian church, have had a soured past, and if they knew that Jesus is judge and you wore your Jesus is judge shirt in front of them, well, well they think, well, you're judgmental. We don't want that. You know, maybe it's personal or, or maybe it's cultural. We know that the idea that Jesus judges people and sends them to either heaven or hell is not cool. It's not popular, right? It's counter-cultural. And so maybe it's a problem with that idea that there is a binary outcome in life when the judge comes back. Either he will judge you and you will be found wicked and suffer the fires of hell, or you he will be judged righteous The merits of Christ, and you live in joy and eternity forever. That idea maybe that's what makes us uneasy, or maybe it's a scriptural thing, maybe it's maybe it's not personal or cultural, it's just scriptural, or I should say, like a, a misunderstanding of scriptural passages. You know, the famous one, Matthew 7, I'll quote it in King James Judge not, lest ye be judged. And we think, Yeah, I. Jesus is judge. I'll, I'll leave the judge into Jesus, but I'm not gonna make that a part of what I celebrate as a Christian. We're asking the question, why? Why are we uneasy, uncomfortable with this idea that Jesus is a judge and he's coming back as judge? Maybe it's personal, maybe it's cultural, maybe it's scriptural or a misapplication of but really it's probably all of those reasons put together and yet none of those are the reason none of those are are the reasons we're uncomfortable with it they're, they're just symptoms of the one reason you want to know the one reason why we're not comfortable with the fact that Jesus is judge it's personal is personal. What we know is that, well, Jesus is judge and I have guilt. You have guilt. And what we also know is that any judge does not look favorably upon people who have guilt. And so how much more the God of all universe, who also happens to be a judge, who is all-powerful, holy, blameless, and sovereign, I'm not comfortable then with the idea that he will judge me. Can we just be honest about guilt this morning? The fact that you have it, I have it, everybody has it. Why do we have it? That's maybe not even a question because people have guilt. (laughs) They have it for one of three reasons. Either it's because you did something wrong you did something against God's holy will. It's, it's the things that you do behind closed doors. It's the things that you do in your, the privacy of your own mind. Or it's the fact that it's the things you do standing with a smoking gun in broad daylight. You do things that cause guilt. But it's not just those things. It's, it's also the things you don't do causes guilt, the fact that you don't so much do wrong things, but you don't do good things. You're not engaged emotionally as a parent. You're not unconditionally loving as a spouse. You're not consistently selfless as a neighbor. We hold grudges, we don't forgive, and we don't give to God. The good things we don't do. But there's a third reason. A third reason that people have guilt. It's one that's rarely talked about, but really, most people have. You have guilt because people have done wrong to you. You've been wronged, you've suffered trauma and shame. So you're left. Holding the weight of guilt. We don't really have to ask, Are you guilty? It's obvious we all have guilt. We don't even really need to ask, Why are you guilty? because it doesn't matter. The real, real question we have to ask is, What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the guilt that you do have? Sadly, so often what we do with our guilt is run with it. Run with it away from Jesus. Jesus who is judge. Because nobody wants to go before a judge with it. So we run with it. Never mind the fact that it's, it's too heavy to run with. We try to hide it. In other words, we try to, we try to keep it. Never mind the fact that it's, it's messing up our life as we hold on to it. No, we either run with it like we're Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when God came as though they could outrun him. We try to hide it as though, you know, that, that kid that eats the chocolate cake and has it all over his face. And, and when he tries to, you know, you know, get confronted with his parents, he acts like, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. We keep it. We keep this guilt that we have. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? ask the question if we could just be honest about the fact that we have guilt this morning because sadly often what we do is just run with it and and that's scary because of what our savior says he's going to do with people who who run away with their guilt from him who hold on to their guilt i need to share with you and well be honest about what god says about guilt and and just a little maybe precursor here this is this is talking to the people who do wrong or who don't do good. It's not talking to the people who, who have been wronged, who, who haven't done wrong themselves. This is, this is what God's word says about it. We read it from John's, or Jesus' prophet, John. The ax is already at the root of the tree and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And then referencing Jesus' second coming, he said, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus sent John, and John's message was to point to Jesus and say, Jesus is coming, and he's coming as judge. He's coming with his gavel in hand. He described it in much more graphic terms, however, an ax, a winnowing fork, So what are you gonna do with the guilt that you have? Please listen to these words. Because John also said that everyone will see salvation. Everyone will see the Lord's salvation. And either you will see it with regret because you run with your guilt from Jesus or you hide your guilt from Jesus or you will see it with joy. You will see it with joy. So what's left to do? What, what do we do with our guilt? Don't run from the judge. Run to the judge. Rally to the judge. It seems so counterintuitive, so countercultural, that that is what we would do as guilty peoples, as guilty parties, that we would run to the judge But Jesus is judge, and he is not normal. Listen to how he judges. Isaiah chapter 11 said this. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. In other words, most judges judge how? They listen to the testimony. They see the evidence. But Jesus is judge, and he is not normal. He doesn't judge by what he sees. He doesn't look at your sins. He doesn't listen to your record or even even your case. So, how does he judge? Well, it goes on, with righteousness he will judge. What does that mean? That with righteousness he will judge. Well, what it means is you can rush, you can rally to the judge's bench and ask for mercy. And here's the great news: that he doesn't just merely give you mercy. He doesn't just like lower your sentence a little bit. No, he doesn't reduce your sentence, but instead he gives you his righteousness. Well, you say, Well, that's not even fair. How does how does that work? Well, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor. You understand this phrase right here, right? That Jesus is, you're not just Jesus, but that anyone who says that they are judge, jury, and executioner, you understand that phrase, right? That means that, that someone has absolute power to do whatever they want. Well, Jesus is judge. He is jury, and he is executioner, but that's not all he is. Because what does it mean that he judges with righteousness? Well, it means in addition to being judge, jury, and executioner, well, he's also the defendant. He is the one who comes accused or accused of guilt or taking on the guilt of the world. And and so what does Jesus do with all power and authority and dominion that he has as judge, jury, and executioner? Well, he takes the place of you and me. He steps in as the defendant, the guilty party, and he says, no, 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 no. Those who are accused of guilt, those, those who have guilt, I paid for it. 2,000 years ago on a cross, I, I suffered and died for it. Not, not just the big ugly sins that deserve the death penalty, but even what you might think of or call a misdemeanor. No, the things that are really, really bad and, well, where you have blood on your hands and, and those that are just petty crimes. I paid for all of the fines. There is no guilt for you and me, who rush to the judge's bench, who, who rally to the judge. Scripture calls this the great exchange, that God took on to his son all sin, all guilt, all shame, and he put on to you all righteousness. That means that those of you who, who do wrong and have guilt, he no longer sees you as guilty but as righteous. Those of you who don't do the good that you're supposed to do, he doesn't see a failure or a flop. He sees you as righteous. And those of you who have been wronged, who have guilt that shouldn't be, Jesus takes that guilt and that shame as well and covers you with his righteousness, his innocence, his purity forever. He judges with righteousness. And you look at that and you say like, well, was that just? How is that fair? No one even, even gave anything for that. I didn't, I didn't do anything to deserve that. There wasn't a, even a drop of blood shed. But that's not true either, because there was blood shed. Jesus took the full punishment for all of our guilt that it deserved, and he did it so that he could be with you forever. Who is this savior? Who is this judge? Well, Isaiah described him as this. He is the shoot or the branch of Jesse. You know why our lesson from Isaiah started out describing a a stump of Jesse? You know who, who Jesse was? Jesse was David's father. David, king of Israel. And God promised to them that he would give forever blessings and goodness as they followed him in his ways. But Israel didn't do that. They ran from him. They had a lot of guilt and they they tried to hide it from him. So God got out the ax and he cut them down. There was nothing left. And yet from that, he brought up a shoot. He brought up the branch of Jesse. And this same branch, this same shoot of Jesse, well, it was the judge. And how does Isaiah describe him? He is the root of Jesse. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. That means that as he judges, he judges with all wisdom, knowing exactly what you need. As he judges, he judges with all understanding, meaning he understands everything about you, but he understands most of all the depths and the riches of God's grace and his mercy. And what does he do with that grace? Well, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that rests on him as well. So he doesn't just have the counsel, the wisdom, the knowledge of what to do with it, but he has the power. He has the might to carry out God's plan of salvation. So how do you stand before the judge's seat? Well, Christians, you stand in grace, not guilt. You stand in grace, and not guilt. In other words, innocence, not guilty before the judge. It's hard because there are moments, right, where you still feel guilty and don't feel good. You still feel kind of like you have the muck and the mud of the things you did or didn't do on your hands. So what do you do? Well, friends, know this, that whether you feel good or whether you feel guilty, when Jesus types in your name and looks up your record, it comes up as innocent for Jesus' sake. And so what's left to do? Just run. Just run to the judge. This is how Isaiah wraps it up. He said, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. I want to invite you to open up your worship guides or your Bibles later on and look back at the verses just prior to verse 10 that Isaiah wraps up with here. What he describes is a new, renewed world order. People don't have guilt. People live in peace and harmony. Wild animals that used to tear each other apart, now cuddle together. The parents' worst nightmare, kid playing near a snake's nest. No problem. What Jesus is describing, what God's word is describing, is the results or the consequence of what happens when God comes, when Jesus comes again as judge. He's describing his second coming. He's describing what we read of in in Revelation 21, that he's coming and he's, he's making everything new. He's describing the shoot, the root of Jesse, reigning and ruling again. But he's not setting that up here on this world. He's He's establishing it in eternity. In other words, he's renewing everything. And while that hasn't been renewed totally, completely yet, already you and I get to enjoy the blessings of that. What is just one of them? Well, it's the fact that when you think of Jesus as judge, you don't think of that with fear. You think of that with hope. This is what Paul's epistle to the Romans was talking about when he described his God, the God of all hope. We can run to the judge, not run from him. We can rally to him. We can rush his judgments, speed, knowing what he gives us there. He gives us encouragement and endurance and hope and peace. You can run to the banner of the Lord and and stand under that banner. And what does it say? It announces over you, places over you that here stand the innocent. Here stand the righteousness of Christ. And what does that result in? It results in endurance in encouragement so that you can go through life and all of the ways where you are bombarded by guilt and shame from things you have done or not done from things that people have done to you, you can take those things and you can rush again and again to the judgment throne and there stand under that banner, reminding yourself of who exactly you are, the innocent. It changes not only how we relate to God, but how we relate to others as well. Because when you know how you stand before God, that he doesn't judge you, well, this brings hope and peace and joy and unity how we relate to others as well. It renews not only our view of God as judge, but our view of others. If God doesn't judge me, I don't stand in judgment over others either. Christians experience a unity, a oneness as we walk together knowing the forgiveness that we stand in. We don't run from the judge, We don't think even of the idea of Jesus as judge with fear, but with hope, because Jesus has raised up a new judge, the root of Jesse. I got an invitation once to go see a judge. It came on the back of a speeding ticket, actually. Not proud of that. So I took the invitation up and I went to Jefferson County Circuit Court in South Central Wisconsin. I was nervous. I was kind of afraid of what would happen. So I got there really, really early and didn't matter because they go in alphabetical order and Rothy is pretty far at the end. I had to teach. I had to go to work later that day. So I actually got dressed up for it, shirt, suit, and tie. I thought, you know, I'm going to really impress the judge. Didn't matter. He didn't even look up at me when I went up to him. I even prepared a little speech to explain, you know, how I was going to visit my mom. I was even going to preach at her church, and that's why I got the speeding ticket. Didn't matter. He didn't, he didn't ask me about it. He just asked me my name. He said, are you Matthew Rothy? I said, yeah. He said, because you came here today, because you came and saw the judge, I'm going to give you all your points back, and I can't get rid of the fine, but I will reduce it to the state minimum That's mercy. That's mercy from a judge. And you think back on that, I I didn't need to be afraid, right? I should have, in a strange way, looked forward to it. How much greater in Jesus that we look forward (laughs) to rallying to the judge? Because he doesn't just reduce the fine, he gives you his righteousness. And so we look forward, we hope for Jesus to come as judge. And you know what that makes you? Not normal. (laughs) we say, come Lord Jesus. Yes, especially as judge. Amen.